Good morning. Wow, isn't it great to be here? Yeah. Missing so many weeks makes us really appreciate it even more. I mean, I always appreciate it, but especially when, uh, when it's been a while. Let's read this together. Judges 2.10. That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. And my comment on that is just the reason they didn't know is because nobody bothered to teach them the past. And so I would encourage you, whoever you are, no matter how young or old, uh, talk about what God's done in your life to younger people. All right. Um, it, it has been forever since we've been t together, it seems like. Uh, we've missed almost a month, three weeks. And, uh, and so we began this lesson and then... Uh, had to shut it down because of the time and we didn't get through with it so we will get as far as we can today and and then we'll just continue through this series i already have a the next lesson from chapter five the beginning verses of chapter five uh, ready to go so uh, i'll give that to donna this week and depending where we're at we'll just we'll continue as long as we can but i think it's very important as we remember this um why why are we doing this we meet together as brothers and sisters in christ to learn the word of God, to be encouraged, and your, your presence here is an encouragement to each other, to stay faithful to God and his word, but then also to make application. So feel free to take these notes with you and think about this lesson throughout the week so that you can begin to incorporating some of these principles as I do, try to do every single week in, in my own personal life. And as we begin this again today, we'll look at this passage um, it is longer because it's the entire chapter of chapter four. So that's why it's a little bit longer to go through. But what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, what's the purpose of receiving certain things? Why do we have the blessings of God? Is it for his glory or for just our pleasure? And when we start getting and receiving things and doing things just for our own pleasure, we're never going to be happy. You adulterous people. Now understand he's not talking about intimacy here between two people. He's talking about a love relationship with the world. And that's what the term is here. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world because, becomes an enemy of God. Or you do, do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. 
There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, is you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. He's writing this to the dispersed Jews because of persecution. A lot of things are happening within this culture. There are those that are, that are wealthy who had a lot when they left in this dispersion and they are now taking advantage of the poor. They're hurting one another and they're arguing with them with one another. They want to be happy. They want their lives to be taken care of. And, and ultimately then there's this division within these believers that are scattered. Last time that we met, I was going to say last week and last year, as it feels like, no, um, human relationships can be complicated. And we talked about that, that when we deal with human emotions and human feelings, human situations, we all can struggle with these types of relationships. Why? Because we love this word called fair. We think everything should be fair. And yet it's not, is it? In fact, that's one of the things you kind of, it sounds very discouraging that, you, you know, it, it, or here's another phrase. God wants me to be happy. No, God doesn't want you to be happy. He, he, it's okay if you are. He wants you to be holy. But oftentimes we get off track, even in our relationships with people then, because we just want to be happy. And we don't necessarily want to do that which is necessary to be in a right relationship with God. Spiritual warfare is a reality. Why would Satan desire discord amongst God's children? Someone read first, Ephesians 6, 11 and 13. We'll just do this quickly to catch up. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. Put on the full armor of God. And, and one of the hardest things to recognize, but this is where all of us need to be, in spiritual warfare, it's not against a person. There are times when you will be in conflict with people. But you have to understand where that conflict originates. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual war. And we have to take it from that perspective. Sometimes we take everything personal. We make everything personal. It's not. Though it, it, it feels very personal. It feels very specific to me. It hurts me. But the issue is, is this is a spiritual warfare. And we have to understand Satan hates you. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He has his spiritual forces, his demonic forces that are disruptive in everything that goes on. And God desires us to fight this spiritual war the way he intended. 
So we put on our the whole armor of God and all of this stuff, all these elements, which we've done in a, a class what, a couple of years ago, the armor of God. But why would Satan desire discord amongst God's children? Yeah, Donna. Oh, that's exactly right. Great comment, too. We're, we, we, we are, are not unable to share our faith when there's this discord. Yeah. Well, it's like Jesus said, it has to divide Exactly. So when the house is divided, it will fall. In other words, when there's discord, when Satan brings discord in the family, within the family of God, within your immediate family or the family of God, it breaks us apart. But remember, when, before Jesus went home to be with his father, he had a prayer. And he prayed for those of his disciples and those that would believe in him. And he said, Father, his, his prayer was this, Father, may they be one as what? We are. We are as we are one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this perfect unity May they be one as we are one. May they be like-minded. May they be on the same page. May they be moving in the same direction, with the same heart, with the same passion, with the same love, with the same attributes, with the same desires that we have, that we would see people the way God does, and that he would unify us. How does, and you mentioned it, right? How does conflict impact the mission of the church? When we're in conflict with each other, do you feel when you're argumentative, when you're when you are out of relationship with your spouse, when you're dealing with issues of sin in your family and struggles, and you're just dealing with all kinds of stuff that is not effective, do you feel like sharing your faith with somebody else? What's the word that typically people use when they feel like, how could I share my faith? When I'm struggling in my own relationship with God or the people. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And boy, we use that, we throw that word around real easy today. I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'll stop. And, and Satan just applauds. He just claps his hand going, go. You hypocrite. And he lies. He's the liar. But he's, he's trying to convince us, hey, you're not worthy to share Jesus. So stop. And ultimately then it impacts the Great Commission. The source of conflict with others. I won't read it again for time's sake. But where does this come from? It comes from within us. They originate this conflict in our own personal desires that conflict with God and others. So this conflict is ultimately a spiritual issue in which I have a problem with God and I have a problem with people. Okay? What are examples of these desires that are destructive? Well, the first one I'm going to deal with is pride and hatred that leads to death. Someone read Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard it, uh, I'm sorry. You have heard it uh, that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable 
to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, uh, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, I want to make some clarity here. So he's talking about division in the family of God. Okay? And so he says, okay, when we get prideful, when we start thinking we're better than everybody else, better than somebody else, and we begin to have hatred toward others, it ultimately leads to spiritual death, if that's really the case, depending on what this means. So ultimately, then, he said, you've heard, don't murder. But I say to you, don't hate your brother or sister. Now, what does that really mean? This is not angry at someone's sin, okay? If you get angry at your child for being very rude and disrespectful, etc., that's not a sin, okay? Anger at a sin is not sinful, okay? That's why you can be angry and do not sin. You can, but there's a difference between being angry at someone's sin and hating them as a person. But really what we're talking about here is remember, this is, this is important in everything that we do. We have to remember these verses. It's the basis of everything we think about. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, so God created man in his image. Okay? Male, later says, and female, he created them. Men and women, you are image bearers of God. Regardless if you're a Christian in here or not, every person is an image bearer of God. They're not a child of God. John 1 makes that very clear. But we are created in God's image. And when we hate someone, not because of their sin, but we hate them, maybe because of what they have, Maybe because of what they, um, you know, how they have lived their life in, in such a way that they have something that we don't have. We, we become jealous and, or we're prideful. Remember the, the Pharisee who walked into the temple, looked down at a sinner, the stinking, rotten sinner? Jesus was in the temple too. And the Pharisee says, I'm so glad that I'm not like one of these. But that sinner beat upon his breast and said, oh, what a sinner am I? And he said, which of the two left the temple justified, righteous? But the one who beat upon his breast in humility, not arrogance and pride, but sometimes our pride can cause us to dis discard people, hate people because they're different. And what he's talking about here is is getting us this idea that you are worthless. That's where the word raka means. It literally means empty-headed, worthless, meaningless. And when we think that way about somebody, you don't even, you're not even worth living. That's like killing them. I, I, I know I, I, I shouldn't get into politics, but I think sometimes you have to speak up the truth in love. I am disgusted, and I said this the last time we were together, that there are those who create policies in which the most vulnerable were put in a position to die because we needed to basically undermine the system of decrease the surplus population. 
it's okay if the elderly die of COVID. And let me tell you something. God hates that kind of sin. He hates all sin. But think about how we value people. That how, do we protect the poor? Do we take care of the needy? Do, do we only invite our friends for our house for dinner because they can invite us back? <laughs> how do we take care of people who need us? What are, whoops. what are examples of these desires? Covetousness that lead to broken relationships. Someone read Luke 12, 15 and thir, thir, Romans 13, 8 to 10. Go for it. Someone. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Romans 13, 8-10. Let not debt remain outstanding, except the continued debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. Whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So the source of conflict is covetousness. When we desire to have and our value becomes what we own. It's very destructive. Think about it. When you begin to see your value by what you have, or don't have, your entire life revolves around that stuff. And then what happens when something goes wrong? What happens when we lose that stuff or that stuff breaks down? If our value is found in things, we will, we will be depressed. We will not be happy because all of this involves around me. See, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions and what we have. And yet, at times, we find great joy in that which is meaningless. I would agree with that. I do that at times. I find that to be true in my own life. All these things that would be like, this, this makes me, doesn't really make me happy. Not necessarily, because it could be gone in an instant. I don't, maybe I'm just weird. Maybe I'm just different. But I can't tell you the number of times I drive down Robin Drive towards our home and look to the left to make sure it's still there. That may sound weird to you, but I always went, what if my house burned to the ground? All those things that we've seen valuable, important, would be gone instantly. Am I okay with that? Now, of course, we don't want this for anyone. And we'd be there to support one another and help someone through this. But when do we, what do we value? What's really important? And the greatest thing that's important to me is my relationship with God and my relationship with my family. What a blessing. I don't know if any of you, you know, some of you are on Facebook, but my grandson came over, uh, Levi came over to spend some time with us yesterday. And he he jumped up into my lap and just put his head on my shoulder and just stayed there. It was just like, I'm safe with Pop. Life was good. Okay, Cheryl took a picture of it, posted it. But I, I sat there, how blessed to have, be loved. And what really is all important? 
Let no debt remain outstanding except the continued debt to love. Love. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Independence from God, which leads to selfishness. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one, one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfless ambition or conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Are you interested in what everybody else is or yourself? Independence from God. When I get independent from God, when I don't need him in my life, my prayer life is suffering because I'm just living because I'm, everything's good. I don't need God. Everything's good. Selfishness also is what ends up resolving. That when I'm independent from God, I'm self-sustaining. I don't need him. Think about that in your own life. How have, think about your daily life. How do we create independence from God? Anybody, real quick. How do we create independence from God? People just start doing what they want to do. We do what we want to do rather than what he wants us to do. So, yeah. Financial security. Financial security. We don't depend on God. We just have it. So we're good. What else? We take credit. Uh, we credit ourselves and not credit God for blessings of our Yeah. We, we credit ourselves rather than credit God for the accomplishments we have in life. When we think, yeah, this is all about me. I, I, I did that. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? Looked over his kingdom. Boasted about what he had. That was a long journey. <laughs> till he looked up to heaven to realize there was a God. And he repented before him. But he lived like an animal. Do you, do you think there's people in our world today living like animals? Yeah. Because they don't know God. What else? Independence from God. How do we create independence from God? Yeah. We make elaborate plans and then ask him to bless it. Yeah. We make our plans and then tell God to bless it. Doggone it. Excellent. We, we, we get so busy that really we don't have time for God. We just we fill our day with busyness, with stuff. And we become independent of him. Prayer reveals our dependence upon God. Lack of prayer reveals our independence from God. The source of our conflict. James 4, 4 to 6 again. Where does it come from? Because we're friends with this world. He says that is why the scripture says God opposes the proud. But shows favor to the humble. Don't be, choose to be a friend of the world because you become an enemy of God. Now think about that. When you become a friend of this world, you become an enemy of God. Source of conflict is spiritual adultery. We have a love relationship with this world. Why does friendship with this world cause us to be an enemy of God? Someone read 1 John 2, 14 to 16 for me. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. 
I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So he clarifies, he clarifies it for us, right? What's loving the world? Loving the world is not having a passion for souls. Loving the world is not just caring about the things and the blessings of life and being appreciative of the things of life. If God has blessed you, if I, Cheryl and I were yesterday, uh, we, we uh, went into Sam's. Um, we've been this week at Walmart and we were, we were continually having this conversation. I, and I said to her, imagine the, the billion plus people that live in a third world country if they walked in here right now. Unbelievable. I shared with you how I wept when I walked into there after going to, to India with my family. We have so much, but after a while you can really take it for granted. You just assume, yeah. Until of course, you know, George Flickinger says there's gonna be a, an ice storm. There's food <laughs> on the shelves. Or that there's not a pandemic that all the toilet paper and paper towels go. There's no shortage of We have so much stuff. We're blessed beyond measure, right? We are so blessed. And God doesn't go, shame on you for being blessed. No. That's the gift of God. I mean, there's a great gift in that. So don't disparage that. But we also have to be wise. In other words, if you ever were around children who had a lot of stuff, they get toys and clothes. They've got a lot of stuff. Do they ever get tired of their stuff and look at you and go, I'm bored. There's nothing to play with. And they have a room full of stuff. Sounds like us sometimes. We just have adult toys. We just want more stuff. So we go to Home Depot and Lowe's. And <laughs> it was fine when I was talking about the kids. <laughs> it's not talking, what he's talking about is the, the worldliness. Loving the world is when we love lust after the flesh. We are drunken toward desiring the fleshly things. The lust of the eyes that we're, we're never satisfied. We want more. How much is enough? A little bit more. And the pride of life when we think we're better than anybody else. Spiritual adultery causes us to be double-minded. James 1, 6 through 8 says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is worse, is, is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. James 4, 8 says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. We become double-minded. We start, we start thinking, well, I, I like this. 
it's like, let's, let's separate the stage in half. This is the world. This is the church. And we like this. We like a foot in, on each side. But that's not the way it works with God. We become worldly in that approach. And we, we, we want a love relationship with the world. And we, love, we want a love relationship with God. We, at least we want the blessings of God. Sounds like the children of Israel, doesn't it? Until destruction comes. And then we cry back out to God. God is jealous for us. Why? Exodus 34, 14 says, Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous. You don't hear that one very often, do you? God's name is Jealous. Is a jealous God. 2 Corinthians 11, 2 says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. He clarifies that. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. God is jealous for us. So let me ask this question. Okay, Why would God be jealous of you? Why is God jealous for you? Well, he made us. He created us. He, he created us for a purpose. And, and he knows that. That's why we have his word. If we don't stay in that purpose, yeah, we're going to falter big time. Sure. He wants us to be in relationship because he created us. What else? Yeah. His spirit indwells us. Because his spirit indwells us. God is living within us and wants us to be like him. And that's part of the sanctification process. Yeah. What else? Why would God be jealous for you? Now remember, God is God, right? Amen? Amen. God's God. He knows everything about us. Does the scriptures not warn us that when we go after the things of the world, destruction comes? Unhappiness comes. We think, oh, I'll go after that and I'll be happy. But ultimately, does that really make us happy? I mean, think about certain things. I mean, it, the, the law of diminishing returns. When we want something, when you get it, it's like, give us food. I am so sick of manna. Give me some variety. I'd rather be enslaved than just, you know, it's like, we're not happy with it. We want it. And I've used this illustration before, but I've talked to many people. Not, it's not exclusive, though. They love something until they go work for the company that makes that something, that restaurant. Dunkin' Donuts. I would love to work for Dunkin' Donuts. And after six months, I don't want to see another Dunkin' Donuts as long as I live. I don't like Dunkin' Donuts anymore. People, you know, when you, when you get it more than you want, man, if I could just have steak every day, I'd be happy. No. Dunkin' Donuts used to have a policy that when you started employed there, you could eat all the donuts you want, and they, they, they found within 10 days that employees never touched another donut. <laughs> <laughs> That'll, that'll ruin you real quick. I don't know if it's still that way, but I know it was in the 90s. Yeah. I want to test that <laughs> I know you better than that. You're not a donut man. We eat continuously. 
God is jealous for us. We become our own God. Psalm 10 verse 4 says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. May, may we never get to the place where there's no room for God. That we, don't, that we don't come to the place where we go, you know what? I don't need God in my life. Because ultimately then, we're out of the position that God put us in. The source of conflict resolution. Resist the devil, he says, and he'll flee from you. Submit yourself to God. I put God first in your life. Job 22, 21. Someone read that for me. Submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. Prosperity will come to you when we learn to submit to God. In other words, the idea here, this general principle from Job, if we just submit ourselves to God, this idea of, is assumed that prosperity comes. What does that mean, though? Is that true? What kind of prosperity? See, often, how many of us are in our minds, when we hear the word prosper, means stuff, right? The idea, though, is, is that there is, a, there is a reasonableness within God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Resist literally means to stand against. We do this by being faithful to God's word, just as Jesus did when he was tempted by Satan. Peter also said, be alert and sober of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring, roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Okay? Resist him. Stand against Satan. Okay? Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers, the church, us, throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. There's brothers and sisters all over the world who are going through the same. And, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. God's going to take care of you. You may go through difficult times. You may go through suffering because of, of, of being a follower of Christ. But he says, be, a, be alert and sober mind. Watch out. Resist the devil. And you do that through the word of God. Resist him. Resist him. Don't give in to his temptations. Don't get in, give in to his ideas. Don't give in to his philosophy. Resist him with everything you have. Get close to God and he'll grow close, close to you. Luke 11 says, so I say to you, verses 9 and 10, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. God, in our relationship with him, when we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we can draw close to God and he'll draw close to us. God does not force himself on us. But he wants to be in relationship with us. The Holy Spirit longs for that intimacy with God the Father and God the Son. Be pure before the Lord. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. In other words, make the word of God a permanent part of your daily life. If, if, 
you know, I love the, the fact that the church is going through this uh, Bible reading in six months. If that's too much for you, do something. Get in the word every single day. Let me encourage you, no matter your age, stay involved in the word of God. Stay active. Take time every single day to read his word because God will help us to stay pure we get through it if we're willing to yield to it. Keep your passions in check and be humble. Proverbs 11, 2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Who are you to judge others? As I close off here, number five and number six and seven. <laughs> 12 o'clock. Oh. Yeah, we can do this. Are you okay with that? You want to finish it up? Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Don't judge each other. Okay? Amen. Improper. Now, there's a proper type of judging. But improper judging is wrong. Do not judge or you too will be judged. In other words, we don't judge because of acting in pride over somebody. Now, is it morally wrong to judge and recognize sin? No. In fact, the Bible says to herself, if you judge yourself, you won't be judged. In other words, when we come into that judgment, when we recognize that, we're here to encourage and support one another. Luke 6.37 says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. How we live our lives is important. We're to judge ourselves first. 1 Corinthians 10, 30 and 31. For this reason, many of you are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For we, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. This is, of course, talking about right before communion. Judge yourself and you won't be judged. In other words, God, that was wrong. First John 1 John 1.9, that was wrong. I confess it before you. Please forgive me. If I judge what I do when I sin, I don't hide it. I don't cover it up. I don't get arrogant. I don't shift the blame. I own it. When I own my own sin, don't try to shift it to your spouse. Don't try to shift it to your kids. Don't try to shift it to your parents. Don't try to shift it to the world. Take ownership of it. I was wrong Please forgive me. God will forgive you. Jesus is our judge. John 5, 22 and 27. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Jesus is our judge. In all honesty, I'd rather you be my judge. God knows a whole lot more about me than you do. He knows it all. But he will judge with righteousness and unconditional love. Who are you to judge your future? We talk about today or tomorrow. You, know, you, you say, today or tomorrow, we'll do this and do that, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Our light is but a mist, a vapor, that appears for a little time and vanishes away. We think we're, we, we've got everything under control. And there's nothing wrong with planning. You know that about me. The first lesson of every year is on planning. It's goal setting. Nothing wrong with that. But where does tomorrow come from? What will the things of tomorrow hold? It's in the hands of God. We're not in control of tomorrow. We don't even know about our own life tomorrow. 
One of us in here may not even be here tomorrow. And that's not, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. Okay? We, we don't, I may not be here tomorrow. I should never assume that. If, if, every day I wake up, and part of my prayer time is, and I say this, Father, thank you for the gift of this day. I don't deserve to be here, but I'm glad to be here. Today's a gift. It's a gift. And like Shifu says, that's why we call it the present. Because it's a gift. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Only the Lord determines our future. Boasting is evil. My parting thought is for all of us, including starting with myself, is this. Just do right. James 4.17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. In other words, in all of this, in all of this teaching, if you know the right thing to do, and all of us do, and we choose not to do it, that's sin. It's not real hard. It's not real difficult. Do right. There was a singer here years ago, Mac Evans, used to sing this song. He used to go, do right, do right, for it's always right to do. For it's never right to do, wrong to do right, so just do what's right to do. <laughs> Did you get that? He always say, Did you get that? Do right. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, help us to do right. Help us to think right, to be right, to believe right, to act right, to love right. And as we leave this place, may we do it all to your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you all. Have a great week. See you next week, Lord willing.